tonight. Luke chapter 16, the first 14 verses, and the parable of the unjust steward. As we look at this, this is one of the more difficult parables to interpret because there seems to be some contradiction in it. We'll hit that as we get to it. But remember as Jesus tells these stories with earthly application but really heavenly meaning, he's trying to get to the heart of issues that people struggle with. And this is probably one that here in America uh, is right up there at the very top of the list of things that we struggle with in in our society. And here we find the danger of loving money. And I want to make very clear from the outset that money by itself is neutral. Money's not a problem. It's what you do with money. It's how you treat it. Who does it belong to? Who controls it? And what is it for? And so tonight, the parable of the unjust steward. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we are again just so grateful that we can come and worship you, Lord, on a on a Sunday night, God, on Mother's Day, Lord, where so many of us have uh, spent the, our afternoon maybe trying to find some place to have lunch, Lord, so crowded, and you brought us back here, and we pray that you would speak to us now through the, the marvel, the wonder of your word. And Lord, we, we just confess to you that this subject, Lord, is tough for us. Lord, we we desire things. Lord, none of us wants to be poor. But Father, your word plainly declares that the love of money uh, has always been problematic. And so God, we ask that you would speak to us from heaven and encourage us, Lord, to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verse 1. And so Jesus now continuing onward, he, he says, and he also said to his disciples, so he's, he's picking up a separate context and a separate story here. And so as he finishes one and brings along another, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. Now bear in mind that a steward uh, is really at its easiest definition an overseer. Uh, a steward owns nothing over which he has stewardship. Whoever uh, is a steward automatically is put in the category of taking care of somebody else's stuff. And so it becomes very clear that the issue here is actually the stewardship of someone else's things. And there's a certain rich man, and of course you can immediately begin to see the application here. And the rich man, obviously, uh, as as we pour through this, is going to be none other than God himself. But there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man, so that man being the steward, was wasting his goods. Notice the way this is phrased. It's wasting his goods. It's not wasting the steward's goods, but the man who owns the goods over whom the steward has control. And so as you begin to put this into your mind, Here's the way you can look at this. On this earth, everything is God's. There's not a thing on this earth that does not belong to our Heavenly Father. Every single thing here. So everything that you might think, or I might think, or we might think, this church, this building, doesn't belong to Calvary Chapel South Bay, Inc. This building belongs to God. The roads that you drove in on, they're not the property of the state of California. They belong to God. The money in your individual bank accounts, guess what? It's not yours. It's God's. The home that you dwell in, not yours, belongs to God. The car that you drove here in, not yours, belongs to God. In essence, this story sets out for us the the principle that so many people struggle with because we kind of like to compartmentalize that, okay, God, this is your stuff and this is my stuff. 
and I can do whatever I want with my stuff, and, and I'll just give you some stuff. See, God doesn't need you to give him anything because it's all his to begin with. This is a place where people very often end up on the wrong side of stewardship. And so he establishes very clearly, it was brought to him that an accusation about this man was wasting his goods, and the his is the actual owner, the certain rich man. And so he called to him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. So notice again, it puts it in very clear perspective. Give an account of how you've handled my stuff. Not your stuff, my stuff, God's things. For you can no longer be steward. Be careful not to spiritualize this too far because some people turn this into a salvation passage and ultimately it's like God's removing the salvation of this man. That's not the point here. The point here is pure, it's simple. And it has to deal with how we deal with the things that God entrusts to us while we're here on this earth. And then the steward said within himself, now notice this, you see, because this is where we, we often end up uh, kind of trying to make some deals with God. Anybody ever do that? Like, Lord, you know, if you just let me off the hook this time, I promise I'll do this and I'll do that for you. And you, you kind of make a deal. And so when you talk within yourself, it's as if you can somehow influence God by doing something behind the scenes to change the situation as if God doesn't see what you're doing. And this is the crazy thing with us as human beings. Somehow we think that our scheming and conniving and manipulating and moving things around and, and tweaking things, if we can fool a couple of people, that somehow that equals we fooled God. And in this parable it becomes very clear that God's not missing anything. The sleight of hand doesn't work on him. Now I don't know how many of you actually like a good magician but I actually am pretty amazed especially by simple card tricks it's like you know there's there's nothing there there's a couple of hands there's a deck of cards and somebody can shuffle them and then somehow you know pick the one singular card and then end up with it in you know another deck someplace to me those things are always amazing the speed with which the hand is moved and how the distraction works and the deception there's always something else going on that draws your attention away from the thing that's actually really happening, which is they're actually moving that card to a place they know exactly where it is. Can I tell you that doesn't work with God? It's like the old peanut shell game. You know, you take a pea, you put it underneath a couple of shells, and you move them around. And, you know, if you get somebody that's following those things, most of the time, if you're really careful and you watch, and unless somebody moves their hands over the top of two of them at the same time, you can tell... But God can always tell. And so he puts this into a place to where we can now really digest it. The steward says within himself, what am I going to do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. Not taking his salvation. He's taking control of the things that used to be in his control. And that's going to get very clear at the end of this particular parable. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. He's, he's saying, look, all I've ever done is take care of somebody else's stuff. He's basically admitting he doesn't know how to work. He's saying, I've really never done anything in my life. I've always been taking care of somebody else's stuff. And in this case, and this is no slight to anyone, every skill you have came from God. Every brain cell you have came from God. Every talent you possess came from God. Everything that you have ever done actually originated in the mind of God. And so at the end of the day, if God takes away everything, you're not going to have anything. And so he says, look, I can't dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved what to do. I love this. I figured it all out. Isn't this just like us? We try and figure out a way around what we're actually supposed to do. And you can spiritualize this to other areas of life, just not to salvation. Because no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands that are His. He's not talking about taking because you mishandled something. It's like, well, you're lost forever. 
Because we're saved by grace through faith. Amen? We're, we're not saved by works or good stewardship. We're not saved because we give or don't give. We're saved because God's grace is sufficient to save anyone who will ask. Don't ever make that cross over. What shall I do when I'm put out of the stewardship that they may receive me into their houses? Now, I want you to notice something. He's automatically thinking not of what the owner thinks, but what other people think. We have a phrase in our American culture, keeping up with the Joneses. I feel sorry for the Joneses. How they got the bum rap, I don't know. But we have that slogan, that phrase. It's as if the only thing that matters is actually impressing other people who are equally just as, as messed up as we are. How will other people invite this guy into their house? That's his question. It's like, I'm going to be shamed out of my community. Notice he makes no mention whatsoever of I've been a total abject failure to my boss who has ownership of these things. I just don't want anybody else to not invite me over to their home. This is how messed up we can get. We can have our eyes off of the real issue and onto something that does not matter. When I'm put out of the stewardship that they may receive, how do I make it so that other people don't quite catch on here? And so he called every one of his master's debtors to him. Now remember, he's a steward. He has control over things that actually belong to the master, but he has control over how they get used. And so here's what he does. He says to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And, he, and so he says to him, take out your bill, sit down, and quickly write 50. Now I want you to see this. It's so very clear. This is manipulation 101. This is, I'm going to change the situation. I'm going to do some sleight of hand here, and I'm going to make it so that this guy thinks I am the best thing that ever walked the face of the earth, because he's going to get a 50% discount, and I'm going to impress my master because I'm actually going to bring him some cash. It's like if I just maneuver a few things around, no one will actually notice what's going on here so that no one will think bad of me and people will still invite me over to their homes. I'm going to make lemonade out of this lemon. And he said to another, how much do you owe? And so he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take out your bill and write 80. He's, he's basically making himself out to be the good guy, isn't he? When he's actually failed at his stewardship. And isn't this kind of how we act sometimes? I think if we're honest, we've all been to that place to where, you know, maybe we've been not so faithful with the stewardship of the things that God's entrusted to us. And so we, we, we kind of get to that place to where there's something going on in our lives. And, you know, well, I'll just, I'll just give to the Lord this week. Or I'll do something magnetic. I'll actually do what God's called me to do. And I'm going to be so awesome that people will actually still invite me over there. They'll still think good about me in this area of my life. And now comes a difficult verse, and you have to be very careful with this. And so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in, notice it, underline it, their generation. In other words, they're more shrewd at impressing the people around them than the sons of light. In other words, it's not actually a comment that is positive. It's a comment that actually is negative. He's not saying, yay, that's awesome. You're a real crook. He's saying, as far as people being shrewd... <laughs> You're more shrewd than the sons of light. Because people who really love the Lord don't act like this. And so as we unload this first part, we have a difficult story. Let me just say to you, 1 Timothy chapter 6 gives us some further insight into this whole principle. And it says there in verse 6, And now godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen? If you know that passage, it then goes on to say, 
for we brought nothing into this world, and for certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these things, be content. And so there's a, there's a picture that's given as Paul writes to his, his young understudy, this, this young man that he's raised up in ministry, and he's talking to him about the subject of stewardship. He says to him, look, <laughs> this stuff isn't yours. It belongs to God. Learn how to be content. And know this, whatever's here stays here. It doesn't go to heaven. Oh, if we as Christians could live that way, realizing that nothing on this earth is coming with us. And yet how many people live as though everything here gets to go there? It's like we're storing up. We think that if we just collect enough stuff here that somehow that translates to heaven. There's only one thing you can take with you to heaven. There's exactly one thing that you can take with heaven to you, take with you to heaven. And that's other people. That's it. Those eternal things that we do are designed to draw people to Jesus, not collect stuff for ourselves. Paul would go on writing to Timothy there in in 1 Timothy 6, and it said, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And so he's talking about something that we can get hung up in. And he says in verse 10, a a verse that's probably familiar to most of you, for the love of money, and notice what it says. It doesn't say money itself. It says for the love of money, the, the singular focus of your life being the accumulation of stuff. Not money itself. Money can be used for the Lord. Money can be used as a tool for righteousness. Money by itself is actually neutral. It's what you do with it that matters. And so he says the love of money, in other words, as Jesus would put it, and he's going to say at the end of this passage, you can't have two masters. You can only love one at a time. And so he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself. The love of money. The desire for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. You think that applied to this guy in this parable? Some strayed from the faith in their greediness. In other words, they got so caught up in the stuff that they think they own, that they don't really own, that belongs to God, that they actually wander away from the truths of the Lord. And have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Oh boy, amen. You know, in my time in ministry, as, I, as I've talked to people about this particular subject, it's never, a, it's never one that, you know, it's not, not on the top ten thing that people that come into my office say, hey, you know, I want to talk to you about my finances. It's not a big, it's not a big one. People don't like, they kind of keep that private. And it's okay, between you and the Lord anyway. But in this situation, what the Bible clearly tells us is, look, if you want to avoid some problems in your life, then you better have one love of your life. If you don't want to have problems, if you want to stay away from the things that will really bind you up, really put you under bondage, there's nothing that can put you under bondage like the love of money. Can't tell you how many people have bought things they shouldn't buy, ended up in all kinds of financial trouble, ended up owing people to where uh, Proverbs becomes very true to them. The borrower is always slave to the lender. Always. You want to know why our economy is like it is right now? Because that proverb is true. You can't borrow yourself out of debt. Anybody figured that out? It doesn't work. You can work yourself out of debt, but you cannot borrow yourself out of debt. It's not possible. And so in this parable... We find a difficult story. The Lord turns his attention to his disciples and and he's speaking to them. He says, look, this this steward who has wide powers of discretions. The crazy thing about a steward in biblical times is is they literally could do most anything that they wanted to do with the resources that were at their disposal. So this man was hindered in no way, shape, or form from doing good with the master's resources. And the same is true for us as the body of Christ. We're hindered in no way, shape, or form of doing good with the things that God entrusts to us. And that's everything. That's our cars, that's our houses, that's our bank accounts. Anything that you are steward over, you're not hindered. God isn't saying, well, look, I want you to do it this way and no other way. 
And in this parable, he says, look, I got a clever idea. I've kind of messed up, so I'll just manipulate my way out of the situation. And you can imagine the guys with whom he's now dealing, and as he speaks to them, you, you can kind of sit there going, man, this is awesome. I wish you got in trouble more often because it's working out to my benefit. 50% discount is good. 20% discount, really good because he owed more. So a 20% discount uh, on, on the extra amount of money was still a, a fair sum. And so the guy's sitting there thinking about all these things. He's just like, man, this is a great idea. The only problem was is it was a complete compromise. And I want to speak to you for just a second about this. If you have to compromise your integrity in Christ to accomplish anything financially, you are making a bad deal. You're making a bad deal. It will not work out for you in the Lord. I, I can't even tell you the number of times I've sat down with people and discussing where they're at, and they come, they'll come, and you know we're just in this grave financial situation, and you start to run back through the history of it, and you find, well, you know, we lied on this loan app, and we lied on our tax return, and we lied about my wife's income. She actually doesn't have a job, and we lied about my income. I don't quite make that much money, but you know, we thought it was going to be a great deal, and this house that we we bought was going to be this incredible investment. If you have to compromise in any way, shape, or form to accomplish something financially, you are on very thin ice. The reason our country has gone through the mortgage crisis that it has is not just because of the banks. It's because of greedy people trying to buy things that they can't afford. And it always works that way. And so the Lord is teaching us a principle here. There's nothing worth your integrity. There is nothing worth your integrity. If you have to give away your integrity to buy a new car, if you have to give away your integrity to get into a house, if you have to give away your integrity to get a job, if you have to give away your integrity to to file your tax return, then you need to really seriously think about what you're doing. Because integrity matters. Truth matters. Because we are simply stewards of the things that God's entrusted to us. One of the great difficulties of being a pastor of a large church like this is we have, as a church, significant assets. Those assets are worth millions of dollars. Those assets don't belong to me, they don't belong to the board, and they don't belong to you. They belong to God. And so we have to take very seriously whose they are. And there cannot be a lack of integrity in the business dealings of God's people. And so when those things happen, it's the reason that it shames the body of Christ and ultimately shames the Lord when we don't handle our things the way we should, when we try and do the sleight of hand and we have this account and that account and we move it, those are the things the world does. You see, this guy was wise in the world. This guy was a shrewd businessman. There were probably a lot of Pharisees looking at him and going, yeah, get him. That's not how we as the body of Christ should conduct ourselves. You should be able to speak about absolutely everything in your control as if it were an open book before the Lord and be ashamed of nothing. Because here's here's the deal. One day you're actually going to give an account for everything that you've ever done with everything that's been entrusted to you. It's going to happen at the Bema seat. Whether good or bad. How'd it go, Jeff? Well, you know, we kind of, we lied about that. But we were doing good, Lord. The Lord's going to say, well, that one doesn't count. Got anything else? You see, he's teaching us a, a lesson here. Our God is holy. 
and he has perfect character and integrity. And we cannot and must not stain his name by acting like the world. We need to have the same character that he has. So everything about our lives with this regard, with regard to stewardship, should be able to be absolutely microscopically looked at. For many decades while I was on the staff of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, one of the things that I oversaw was our camps and facilities and all those kind of things. And I had a a run-in one time when Pastor Romaine was still alive. And, and we were talking about pencils. And he said, you know, I can go and get those pencils for two cents less each over at Sam's Club. And, I, and I, I, quite frankly, I took great offense to it. And I said, well, sir, uh, you have a Sam's Club about 50 feet from you. Ours is over an hour. And I said, if you divide my time by the number of hours it would take me to go get those stupid pencils... I said, I'm not going to save anything. It's going to actually cost God something. And he never questioned a single purchase ever from that day forward. Because he knew I had an eye on it. He knew I was looking. And he knew that whatever, if, if if he could look at pencils and the pencil stuff came out, then the big things were highly likely going to be just fine. And Jesus is going to make that absolute analogy at the end of this parable. Tell me, it matters what you do with the little stuff. It matters that we care about the tiny things in our lives. It matters about the widow's might. Pastor Wendell and I very often will we'll, we'll, we'll trade emails back and forth about some of the business operations here at the church. And I take very seriously... The widow's might. The the things that maybe at the end of the day, probably none of us would physically care about in light of all of the other things that are going on, but they matter to God. And as a steward of God's things, they need to matter to me. Because they're not mine, they're His. The Lord makes application in a threefold way in this. And first there's the matter of the money itself. Verse 9, he says, For I say to you, make friends of yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, and notice this, that when you fail, he goes on now with this definitive statement. He says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, in other words, you're going to fail, it's, it's not going to work out for you, that they may receive you into an everlasting home. He says, you've got your priorities wrong. You're thinking about this from an earthly perspective. You better be thinking about it from an eternal perspective. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. You see, it's a character issue. You can tell a whole lot about somebody by what they do in the small things of life. Because the small things that don't matter, if they watch over those small things, then you can be pretty well assured the big things they're going to be fairly careful in. And therefore, if you've not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, and notice how he says this, mammon, we don't use this word in our English language anymore, but mammon then would have been much like your portfolio today. In other words, your, your sum and total of your assets, anything that you carry on your balance sheet of life that is an asset to you. And so he, he makes it very clear. He says, if you've not been faithful with the things of this earth that you've collected, who will commit or trust to you true riches? Because see, there's far more important things. Amen? Amen? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, and because everything is another man's in that eternal perspective, amen? That's where we started. 
If everything in this world actually belongs to the Lord, so if I haven't been faithful with the junk that's on this earth, because that's what it all is. Scripture is very clear that one day this earth, the heavens and the earth, they're going to be rolled up like a scroll. They're, they're going to cease to be. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth. Everything that's here is going to stay right here. If we're not faithful with things that don't matter, Jesus is actually making the case, look, on this earth, the stuff that's here, the money that's here, the wealth that's here, the homes that are here, the cars that are here, in an eternal sense, do not matter. Because God owns it all. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't take good care of it. He's making the case there's something that's far more important. you've not been faithful with what is another man's who will give you what is your own for no man no servant can serve two masters either hate the one and love the other or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other for you cannot serve and look at the way he phrases this it is an impossibility you cannot serve god and stuff Mammon, possessions, money, a portfolio, your career path, your bank accounts, your investments. You can't serve both. You're going to love one. You're going to despise the other. And so this matter was all about these physical things. Just as this steward found a way to guarantee his warm reception into the homes of those he had financially benefited, you know, some people think that if I, I just do business things correctly, that that's all God cares about. It's not. That these things are temporal. He wants us to be good business people, but good business people for the right reason. He wants us to be good stewards for the right reason. He wants to take care of his stuff for the right reason because those are tools in his toolbox to be used for his kingdom. They're not our playthings. Now, having said that, this is not a message Jesus is not saying that it's somehow wrong to have a nice car or nice houses or a bank account that's filled with money. It's not what he's saying at all. He's saying if you have those things, you simply have more responsibility because you have those things to be a good steward. You've been given those things by God. And they're actually not yours. They're His. And so you need to be very careful about using those things for your own profit and pleasure. Now, does that mean you can't take a vacation? Heavens, no. Jesus is not saying that at all. Does that mean that you, you can never, you know, well, I was going to buy a cheeseburger, but it seems like a luxury. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. But what he's saying is, is, is the sum and the total of all of those things are supposed to equal the kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not your life be satiated and satisfied with the things that you have so that you really have no purpose eternally while you're here. And yet so many people, when they, when they fall into things that are good, ultimately it pushes God right out of their life to where they really no longer have that desire to serve the Lord, to love the Lord. Now look, I, I speak from, from unfortunately, some, some very deep experience in this area of life. Kai and I were in business. We, we were in this, we married in the church, walk with the Lord, go in the right direction, and then... Wealth, money, power all creep in. And before you know it, well, you know, I mean, golf is pretty important. I mean, church, really? I mean, I can make a business deal. The first church of Fallbrook Country Club. I could be out there praising Jesus right now with a little white ball. And you start to do just exactly what this unjust steward did. Well, you know, I don't want people to not, you know, do business with me, so I need to kind of go their way a little bit, you know, and then before you know it, all of a sudden you're doing things exactly the world's way and not God's way at all. And boy, that's not a lesson you want the, the master to have to show you. 
because he's really good at paring things down and making it so that your two, your two friends, Lincoln and Jefferson, when you rub them together, still only squeak. Some of you know which coins those are, I see. You, you see, we have an obligation to do God's bidding with his stuff. It's a matter of management. You see, the money ultimately is going to fail. The power is going to fail. The position is going to fail. I've had the opportunity to be around a lot of people who are very, very, very wealthy. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they're no happier than the people that I've bumped into in the mission field that have no idea where their meal, next meal is coming from. But they have more joy than that person who has everything. Because that person who has everything spends their entire life's energy trying to keep what they have. Everything they do is about more profit. Everything they do is about something bigger and better. It goes from, you know, I'd like to have a bigger house, I'd like to have a bigger island. Instead of, I'd like to someday, you know, have a fishing boat that I could catch trout into, I'd like to someday own a yacht so that I can have people on there and impress them. Go from flying in coach to your own jet. Some of you have tracked the story of Prince. You want to see where this goes? Look at his life. Unbelievably talented musician. I mean, unbelievably talented. And yet, as he falls for the lie of Jehovah's Witnessism, as he believes that Christ is not the answer, amasses a fortune of, of some $300 million flying on his own jet, has a medical emergency, addicted to painkillers, and he dies alone in an elevator. Family of God, you can't take it with you. It's all staying right here. It's a matter of management. Notice verse 10. And he who is faithful in what is the least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also in unjust in much. You see, it's a matter of degree. It's not a matter of, of one or the other. You are either serving God or mammon. And if you're unfaithful with a little, you're going to be unfaithful with a lot. And if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. That's why when you find people that love the Lord and they're faithful in those small things, those are the ones to whom God entrusts much. Because He's not going to entrust souls to you if you can't be faithful with dollars. And therefore, if you've not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you and trust to you true riches? You know, one of the criteria I have for people uh, engaging in pastoral ministry is this. I will ask them a very simple question. as not to pry. I will look them in the eye and I will say, have you been faithful with the resources that God has entrusted to you? And then I will normally have someone in the accounting office check to see if that's true. And if they say yes, and that's not a dollar and cents amount, it's is that person faithful to give? Faithful to tithe? Faithful to invest in kingdom things? Because I don't want a pastor on staff here that can't be faithful with money because I surely don't want to trust them with people's souls. So if that's not answered affirmatively, I can tell you what will happen. I'm really sorry, but you really need to go seek the Lord and ask Him why He would choose you to have stewardship over the souls of people when you cannot be faithful with money. 
We need to take care of God's things, God's way. And we who are in ministry should be the number one example of that. You should be able to look at what your pastor gives and say, my pastor's been faithful. We need to be good stewards of the riches that have been trusted to us. A person who is unfaithful in that area will almost always be unfaithful in some other area of life. And the principle is really this. Everything belongs to God. And so whether it's money or some other thing that we think we uh, have possession of, if you treat things this way, it's going to do two things for you. It's going to prevent what I call the pride of ownership. In other words, look what I have. If you ask me whose car I drive, I drive God's car. And that's not to be silly or prideful or arrogant. It's God's car. It's His car. If you ask who owns our house, it's God's house. We get to live in it while we're here. It belongs to Him. He's been gracious, been kind, given us a place to live, but it belongs to Him. It's His. He can do whatever He wants with it. A second thing that it does is it gives you freedom from dependence on yourself. Because if you're self-dependent, you're not God-dependent. And you will learn that lesson very, very quickly as you walk with the Lord. We, we need to walk by faith. Scripture is very clear that whatever is not of faith is sin. And so in every year of our life, we're supposed to be trusting God. And it's hard. It's difficult. But it can be done. And because money isn't eternal, the things that we possess are not eternal, the quickest way for us to become self-dependent is, is, is by amassing things. All of a sudden, I, that's, remember the church of Laodicea? What was their problem? I'm rich and I have need of nothing, including God. And so God says, I, I would rather that you're hot or cold. But because you're neither, because you're lukewarm, because you're trusting yourself, I'll spew you out of my mouth. God doesn't want us to self-destruct. He doesn't want us to stress out. He doesn't want us to be dependent on the things of this world. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go to your job tomorrow morning. So don't go into your boss's room. Pastor Jeff said I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have two masters, so I'm not coming in. That's not what I just said. What I'm saying is the reason you go to work is to be well-pleasing to God. Because it provides you with the resources to take care of your family and to give generously. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be generous with the things that He has given us as stewards. A story, true story. Two boys, roommates, they both went to a Christian college, actually locally. I'll leave out the name of the college and the two men. One of them got kind of tired of the restrictive rules of that college and embarked on a business career in insurance, got his MBA, became a very successful insurance executive. His roommate took another path and became a pastor. They would not meet again for almost 40 years. One summer on a vacation, that pastor found himself in a city here on the West Coast and bumped into this same guy that he went to school with. That amount of time, he'd gone through two failed marriages and now was living with a woman not married to her that was about half of his age. They met at a very fashionable hotel. The guy that was now rich because the pastor... Uh, wouldn't put himself in that category, though he was well taken care of. After a lull in the conversation, he asked him, he says, well, you know, we, we met at college and you were a theology. Ah, I went on to get an MBA. You know, and, and so the pastor asked me, he says, where, where are you and God at? His friend looked at him, looked at his empty plate in front of him, Kind of had a little bit of a smirk, a little smile on his face. And he says, look, I have a Cadillac in the parking lot. I've got a Mercedes and a Jaguar back at the house. 
I've got a house on the beach. I've got a house in the mountains. I've got millions of dollars in the bank. I don't need God. Less than a year later, he was dead from cancer. I pray that in those gracious moments of the last seconds of his life, that he remembered who owned that Cadillac, that Mercedes, the Jaguar, the houses, and the money in his bank. Because it was never his, and it became a distraction to him, to where he no longer needed God. Don't let that be you. Verse 13 says, No one can serve two masters. And this is the issue. The issue is not whether you have a bunch of stuff that's good and you know you would call it your possession. It, it all belongs to God. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve. It's an impossibility. You can only serve one at a time. You can change frequently and often, and some people do. But you can't serve two at the same time. You have to pick one at any instant in time in your entire life. You can only serve one. So the question is, which one are you serving? Hate the one, love the other. Be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, if money, if possessions, if things are your God, then by default you cannot serve God. That stuff has to still be God's. And if you leave it God's, God is your master, and then everything else you are simply a steward over. You say, what do you want me to do with it? God, it's yours. Now, God may tell you, well, make sure that you've taken care of your family. Make sure that you've got your house payments made out. He's going to probably tell you, take care of the things that, that are necessary to make you valuable to me. He more than likely is going to give you sufficient things to take care of your daily needs. Now, whether he goes on beyond all of that, nobody really knows. But you can't serve God in money. And I want you to notice the laugh, because here's what the world's going to say to you. And the Pharisees say it just like the world says it. Now, the Pharisees, verse 14 says, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they mocked Jesus. They derided Jesus. They made fun of Jesus. Are you kidding me? Of course we love money. The scripture actually records they were lovers of money. Now in saying all of this, that laugh of mockery, hey, you can hear it. I hear it all the time. Seriously? You really think all that stuff's good? Yep, that stuff's God's. He can do whatever he wants with it. Do I want to take care of it? Yes. Should Christians have life insurance? Yes, you absolutely should. If you're in here and you're a man and you have a family, if you don't have life insurance, I'm going to slap you. <laughs> because I'm tired of doing funerals where wives are left forced to remarry to keep from eating dog food. Get life insurance. Nothing wrong with it. But don't work for life insurance. Don't serve life insurance. And ladies, it's not better if your husband dies. <laughs> Have a retirement account. You know why? Because at the end of the day, you can do anything for God if you've been a good steward. I'm sick to death of people who do, well, you know, I don't save money, brother. I just spend it all. That's not what this passage says. It says don't love money. It's not loving money to take care of your family so that at the end of your days when you could do anything, where you could be in the mission field, where you could be someone who, who goes out and, and you can be with holy abandon serving the Lord someplace, you, you're still having to work at Walmart when you're 80. That's not God's plan. It's not wrong to take care of your family and your future. It's wrong to serve those things. It's wrong to have them out of order and out of place. It's wrong to make that money the goal in and of itself. We, we need to be working so that the kingdom can come and His will can be done. If you want a good reason to really work hard, it's so you can give. 
so that we can do more for the kingdom. And that's not a pitch. That's just to simply say, if we could get people saved, we could all go home. If we could present Christ crucified and Him alone for the remission of sin to the world, and the world would believe that message, Jesus could come back for His church. That would be a really good way to end the day. You see all these things, Jesus basically says, look, you take care of the temporal things, I'll take care of the eternal things. You, you be a steward over the stuff I've entrusted to you, use them for kingdom purposes, and let's see my kingdom come and my will be done. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for entrusting to us. Uh, and Lord, we, we recognize that there are likely some in this room tonight that they're, they're suffering, Lord. They have need. And so we pray right now for your abundance uh, to be poured out upon those who have great need. God, we don't take lightly uh, those needs. You don't take lightly our needs. Matter of fact, your word pl- declares very plainly that you have need. And you know that we have needs. And you know what we have need of before we do. And so, God, uh, you're the God who takes care of our needs. And so we ask you to do that. And we pray for those of us that have abundance, Lord, that we would be those uh, cheerful givers that Paul talks about there in Second Corinthians chapter 9, that we would uh, sow very, very abundantly because uh, in doing so we know that the, the harvest, the, the reaping that occurs is also abundant uh, through those things. And we pray, Father, that we would never be in the place of this man, Lord, this one who was an unjust steward. Lord, we want to be very just with your things. And so God, help us to to take our stewardship seriously. We love you, we bless you, we praise you. Uh, Help us with this area of life, Lord, that that when you come, uh, we might have produced many talents, Lord, for your kingdom, seen many fruitful things done with the things that you've entrusted to us. We ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?